Thank you, children, for your contribution, your leadership. We appreciate you so very much. Y'all did a great job. Um, a lot of times on uh, days such as today, Mother's Day, Father's Day, such such days as that, uh, you generally get a Mother's Day sermon, Father's Day sermon, something like that. It has never been my habit in my years of ministry to do that, however. Um, primarily, uh, not because I don't want to honor our mothers or our fathers or uh, acknowledge uh, their role, but because um, I, I have always been of the opinion, uh, an opinion that my mother... <laughs> Uh, really planted in me that um, that what we do here uh, together, what we go through, what we address, uh, should always be centered in our connection with God and our relationship with God. Um, and so that's what drives me. That's what uh, shapes my, the direction I go. That's not to say that those who who follow, you know, more of a our calendar uh, in those terms and who preach Mother's Day sermons are not trying to follow God or you can't follow God that direction. It's just from where I'm standing and from where I am, uh, this is this is how I process things. This is how I uh, relate to things. So uh, if you're expecting a Mother's Day sermon as such, um, first of all, let me just say, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's not what you'll be getting. Um, but let me just uh, encourage you and, and, and say that I do have a deep respect and honor for our mothers, uh, for the role they play. Um, it was my mom who first introduced me to, to God, to his word, uh, that first uh, uh, taught me some of my first scripture verses that I memorized and um, taught me what it meant to, to, to walk in love and to appreciate the love that God has for us. And so I do have a, a deep abiding love and, and appreciation for the mothers. And, and I, and I do pray God's richest blessing on our moms here today, that God would, would bless you and would uh, just give you a, an amazing day. Uh, and um, a year, uh, especially after the year we've had, uh, I know this year has been really hard on moms uh, with kids right there. Uh, and so forth, and all the various things that, that uh, we've had to go through. So um, I, I do want to, to just acknowledge that before I begin this morning and, and to say that uh, um, I am grateful for the gift of, of moms, not just my own mom, but the moms that have ministered to me over the years who have been kind of my adoptive moms in the various churches I've served and uh, the moms of uh, the women who have, who have poured into my children uh, in ministry over the years, whether it's in a nursery or in children's uh, Sunday school or uh, youth or wherever it's been, uh, you all do play such a major role in our church life. And so I want to, I want to acknowledge that before I get started here. One of the things that um, we face as Christians, one of the things that I, I face as a pastor, one of the difficulties that we often struggle with is the reality of what we would call unanswered prayer or prayers where we get no's perhaps, where we we have some experience going on in our life, some some hardship, some difficulty, some 
reality that we're seeking to overcome, that we're seeking to deal with, that, that we're, we're praying to God, we're, we're praying sincerely, we're praying honestly, we're praying passionately, but at the end of that journey, at the end of that prayer, we get to that place and God says no, or it doesn't go the way we think that it should have gone. And in those moments, we struggle. I struggle with exactly what's going on. Sometimes you'll hear people respond to that sort of reality with, I guess I just didn't have enough faith. Or sometimes they'll even say that to someone else. Um, by the way, please don't ever do that. Don't ever tell somebody they didn't have enough faith. That is um, irresponsible. Let's just leave it at that. Okay. Um, but we struggle with that. We, we have that question. We have that that doubts. Why couldn't I convince God, perhaps, to move in my direction? Why couldn't I succeed in this moment, in this situation, in this circumstance? Today, as we continue our journey through Mark, we come to a moment for the disciples where they are essentially asking that question, where they are struggling with an encounter that they've had that doesn't play out the way previous encounters have, that doesn't play out the way they expected it to play out. It, 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 it ends, in many senses, in their failure to engage this circumstance, this situation, and to overcome it. And they're struggling with it. And, and when, you, when you come to those moments, there's, there's lots of different ways that you can interact. There's lots of different ways you can respond. Jesus challenges his disciples in this particular instance, however, to reshape their understanding of faith. And I want to say again as I start this morning that this is not necessarily the answer to every situation when things don't go right. The, the, the answers I'm going to propose today, the, the answers that I believe Jesus uh, responds to this morning to this particular situation with the disciples doesn't fit every single category or every single circumstance of, of when you encounter something and it just doesn't work out. Sometimes it is um, for, for other reasons that God says no. Okay, for Sometimes it's for other circumstances or, or other realities. James does tell us that sometimes our prayers are not answered because sin is present. He tells us that and that we need to confess our sins. And, and once we've confessed our sins, that, that sometimes that will move us along the path of healing or help or uh, different circumstances. Sometimes it's God just has a bigger plan that, that we can't see. You know, there, there's things that he's doing. There's things that he's, he's working uh, in our lives, in the lives of those around us that we don't necessarily understand and we, and we may not understand for many years to come. There have been many situations in my life where I didn't understand why things were happening the way they were happening or why things were going the way they were going and, and why things didn't work out the way I wanted them to only to discover a few years later that it was actually for the best in my overall life that it went that particular path, that God took me down that journey. Okay, And so understand that there are different realities at work whenever we encounter these circumstances. But for the disciples today, and sometimes for us, 
it's a misunderstanding of what faith is and, and where our faith should be directed that that leads to um, us struggling with the circumstances with the situation. Perhaps it'll become a little more clear as we uh, what I'm trying to say here as we as we move through the passage. So let's let's look here in, in Mark chapter nine, beginning in verse fourteen. Jesus has just been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's just experienced that that glorification, the the presence of Elijah and Moses, and he and the three apostles who were with him are descending down from the mountain, and as they descend down from the mountain, they're going to encounter the other disciples and uh, the the interaction that, that they've been experiencing while Jesus was up on the mountain. It says in verse 14, when they came to the disciples, when they came down to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. And when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. And he replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been going on? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do any, if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. And after he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. So as we've gone through the miracles of Mark, we've seen many times where Jesus has cast demons out of individuals, where he encountered these individuals. He, <coughs> excuse me, he called the demons out and moved on. And, and each one has kind of its own different uh, bent, its own different expression of exactly how the the encounter played out. This one focuses first on the interaction with the disciples and the demonic spirit, and then Jesus' correction of the disciples, and then the disciples questioning, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we succeed? Now, I'm sure a part of their question was born of the fact that they had cast out demons before. If you go back to Mark chapter 6, verse 7 through 14, you have the, the narrative there share with us that the disciples had cast out demons, that Jesus had given them power over the demons, and they had cast out demons before, and they had been successful in this. And so I'm sure they had this particular moment, this particular exchange, and they they saw themselves through the lens of what they'd previously done, and, um, and, and they really struggled with 
why this time it didn't work. Why this time it didn't happen. And so Jesus tells them, this kind could come out only by prayer. But before that, he said some other things that, that kind of help us understand a little bit of what's going on here, a little bit of what the, the nature of this failure uh, resulted from. And, he, and I think some of what we see here tells us something about the disciples' mindset in terms of faith and what it is and how it plays out. They had this working mentality of, of how things are supposed to go. They had this working mentality of, of how things are supposed to happen. But there was a misunderstanding behind that mentality, behind that, that mindset, behind their understanding. Have you ever noticed how people who are, who are wrong or who are mistaken are usually the most confident about their positions? You ever experience that? You, you know, where, where you're debating with somebody, you're discussing with somebody, and, and they're, they're wrong on all the facts. They're wrong on, on all the information, but man, they are confident, they are right, and they're they're more they're they're stronger, they're 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 out there um even even more vibrantly, let's put it that way, than the, they normally are. Okay. Um it, it happens in, in, in all parts of life. Um I, I think Annika would probably would probably tell you that that uh People who are singing songs, uh, they tend to sing the loudest and clearest what when they get the lyrics wrong. <laughs> okay, you ever you ever had that moment? You know, uh, you know you're sitting there and you're riding in the car with somebody and man they're singing that song and they're going along and man they're they're just loving it and and you say what did you just say? And they repeat the lyrics to you. That's not what the lyrics are there. Oh yes it is. They're confident. Okay, one of my favorite encounters like that was uh, when I was growing up in, in a small church. We had a, a little boy. He was probably four or five at the time. We were singing at Calvary, you know, the, the old hymn, at Calvary. We were singing that. And he was convinced in his heart that the words were actually, and God loves me. And that's what he said in that moment. Every time we came to that portion of the song, he would shout with full force, God loves me. He was confident. He was confidently wrong, but he was confident. The disciples here seem to be interacting with this whole encounter with a great deal of confidence. They're even debating. They're arguing with the scribes here. Now, we don't know the exact nature of the argument, but... We, we can suppose, we can suggest that it's probably some sort of theological discussion just because that's what the scribes generally did. So probably what you had was some situation where the boy had come up, the man had brought his, 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 his son up, and the disciples had tried to cast him out. It had not worked. The scribes jumped in and said, well, it, it didn't work because of this, 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 and this. And the disciples likely responded with, no, it didn't work because this, this, and this. And they are what? They've entered into a theological debate. And the first lesson I think we see about faith is that faith is not inactivity disguised as concern for theological purity. 
And, and what I mean by that is this. A lot of times we get into our life, we get into our situation, our circumstance, we, we get into that moment where we're confronted with a need for faith, we're confronted with a, a need to engage our culture, to engage somebody who's, who needs direction or help or something like that, and we really don't know what to do, so our first decision is, I'm not going to do anything. I, I'm not going to do anything. But then when we realize that's probably not the best route to go, and we, we start to feel that discomfort for not engaging the culture, for not engaging the circumstance, we then enter into a theological debate. We start to theologize about why God doesn't want us to do what we're going to do, or why God's not doing what we think He should do in, in this particular situation. The disciples here, they are confident of their standing. They're confident of their place and their role, but they but they failed in the situation, and so what follows in after that is this debate where they're going to protect their reputation. And so often in our work, so often in our life, when it comes to the whole issue of faith, it's not really about God. It's not really about what God can do in that moment or what God wants to do in that moment. Really, what often happens in that situation is it's about us and our reputation. How do I look at this moment? If I'm not successful, what are people going to think about me? If the person I'm praying for isn't healed, what are people going to think about my faith and my standing before God? And it's not about really relating to God and under, gaining understanding from God and walking with God and praying to God. It's about who am I and how do I look and, and how am I portrayed and how do people understand me in this circumstance. That's not faith. That's self-preservation. Now, theology is important. If you've been with me at all, if you've ever heard me preach before, you know I believe theology is important. And, and Peter, you know, talks about how it's important to, to, to give an answer when challenged in our faith. First Peter 3.15 talks about that. But it's too often we slip into theology to excuse our inactivity. We slip into talking about God rather than talking to God or with God or, or hearing from God. Because in that bubble, in that discussion, in that moment of theologizing, we feel like, well, look how spiritual I am. And you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be committed to, to those sorts of ideals to, to slip into that trap. All you have to be is, is a person who's afraid to, to really step out and, and, and be vulnerable before God. A person who is afraid to risk appearances will often slip into that error as the disciples did here. The second thing I think we see in terms of the disciples and, and their relationship to faith here that, that I think sometimes plays out is that faith is not self-confidence, but instead it's trusting God. 
The disciples, as we mentioned before, had cast out demons before. And I think that may have led to part of their struggle here. We've done it before. Therefore, we know we can do it. Therefore, I don't really need to what? I don't need to pray. Jesus' rebuke of them ends with what? This one kind only comes out through prayer. What's he suggesting there? Y'all didn't pray before this happened. Y'all didn't spend any time in prayer with God before you had this encounter. You just jumped right in. Well, I've done it before. I could do it again. And I think so often our Christian walk becomes more about what we can do or what we're proficient at than it is about walking with God and, and relating to God. We, we say things like, well, I, I wish I could trust God more. And what we really mean by that, however, is, well, I wish I were more proficient in this task. I wish I were better at that. It's not really about trusting God or walking with God or knowing God. It, it's about us building our own talents and gifts and skills. And again, talents and gifts and skills that God has given us are important. They're an important part of how God has made us and shaped us and how God wants to use us for His glory, for His purpose, for His kingdom. But our ministry, our walk, our day-to-day -day existence is not dependent upon our abilities. It doesn't rest on our capacity to, quote, be able to, to, to quote all sorts of scripture or, or to be able to know every answer or every circumstance or every situation. It's not about how great we are. It's about how great God is. If we are proficient in the task, if we are of the mindset that, that we can carry that out, then grace and faith become secondary realities. And if there's one thing Scripture consistently calls us to, it's walking in the, the mindset and an understanding that we desperately need God. That's the message of Scripture from Genesis through Revelation. We need God. Because apart from Him, on our own, we are failures. Even when we succeed, according to Scripture, we are failures if what we've done is apart from our dependence upon God. That's what Scripture means when it talks about how our, our righteousness, our good, is like filthy rags before God. That apart from Him, apart from His work and His ministry and His transformation, what we're doing is a waste of time. And so we need to develop a, a mindset, a, a faith that, that, that what? That is committed to walking with Him, that's committed to knowing Him, that's committed to relying on Him. And right along with that, it's not about proper technique. It's about discipline before God. It's about walking with Him. Notice that uh, a couple things about the exchanges here. There's no response giving, given to the healing here other than by the disciples. Mark doesn't share how the father responded. He doesn't share how the, 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 the boy responded. He doesn't share how the, the crowd responded. He doesn't share how anybody responded to this healing except the disciples. Why? Because this is part of that section. This is part of that area of the gospel where Mark is trying to reveal, to relate the, the growing understanding of the disciples and how they are growing in their understanding so that he can instruct us as 
disciples as well, how we need to grow and how we need to learn, how we need to mature in our relationship with God, with Jesus. And so at the end, when the disciples have this interaction, their question is what? Why couldn't I drive it out? What was their question? Their question was one of methodology. Where did I go wrong? What method did I use that wasn't quite right? Where, where did I get the recipe wrong here? What element did I leave out? What step in the process did I omit? And Jesus' response really isn't one about methodology. Jesus' response is one of relationship. And that really is the heart of the method. It's not about saying the right things or, or, or quoting the right words or, you know, in Jesus' name I pray this. It's not about the, 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 those particular words. It's what? It's about relationship. One of the most intriguing things about this whole interaction is that it's one of the few times in, in Jesus' response about how things happen, about how things work in life, that he links it to prayer. When you think back over all the miracles we've talked about, Jesus' response is ne almost never included, you need to pray about that. His response has always been, you need to have more faith. You need to grow in your faith. That's been Jesus' consistent response. But when you look at Jesus' actions in the other miracles, it always talks about him praying right before. So you have to switch here. In the other miracles, Jesus talks about faith, and he acts with prayer. But you notice here in this particular one, Jesus talks about prayer, but he didn't pray before he performed this miracle. There's no discussion of Jesus saying a prayer before this particular miracle. He just does it. He just acts in faith and does it. Why? Well, I think part of the reason may be that, that what Mark is trying to communicate, what Jesus is trying to communicate at this point, is that, is that prayer is the heart of faith. That there is this interaction here but not only that, that prayer is an ongoing, living, vivid conversation with God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Notice right before Jesus has said this, this statement about prayer, he, he said what? How long am I going to be with you? What's he saying there? He's saying there's coming a time in the not too distant future where I'm going to ascend up to heaven. I won't be here. What are you going to do then? What are you going to do in those situations when I'm not here to pull you out of the fire, to, to rescue you from your failings? What are you going to do in that sort of situation? And then he gives the answer. you got to pray. you got to pray. And the discipline that he's, he's advocating here is the discipline of prayer. But for too many of us, myself included, prayer has often become a side note to our faith. It's become something that we do out of habit. We're about to sit down and eat. Let's pray. We're about to go to bed. Let's pray. We get up in the morning. It's time to pray. That's all great. Except when it becomes about the mechanics 
instead of the relationship. When it becomes part of the, the this is what we do because this is what we do, rather than an ongoing, living, personal conversation with the God who made us. Because it's only when you have that kind of conversation that you're in the relationship. And when you're in that relationship, then you have the confidence. And when you have the confidence, you have the faith, not in yourself, but in that other person. The more you talk with somebody, the more you spend time with somebody, the more you understand them. And the more you understand what? I can either put my faith in this person or I really don't want to because I know them well enough to know they're not somebody I want to have confidence in, right? I mean, when you talk to, there are certain people after you spent any amount of, certain amount of time with them, you're, you're what? You're what? Okay, I'll be nice to that person. I'll love that person because you just said love my neighbor and I'm going to be with that person. But you know what? They're not really somebody I can count on. They're not somebody I can trust. Right? Relationships sometimes lead you in that direction. When do they don't, however? When do they not lead you in that direction, however? When you spend time with that person and they show you over and over and over again that they are somebody you can trust, somebody you can have confidence in, somebody that's there when the rest of the world has gone out, out the door. Then you're like, what? Here I am. I really need a friend. You know who I'm going to call? I'm going to call that person. I'm going to talk to that person. I'm going to visit that person. And that's how prayer works in relationship to God. As we talk to Him, as we walk with Him, as we converse with Him, as we encounter Him in our day-to-day life, as we go through those difficult moments, and over and over and over again, He shows Himself to be a God who loves and who listens and who engages and who transforms and who works in our life, then what? That builds our confidence. That builds our faith, not in our own ability to do things, but in Him who's present with us. And so prayer feeds so directly into faith, especially when it's done as an ongoing conversation, as a, as a part of a relationship with God. So when you put all of that together, that faith is not self-confidence or proper technique or, or uh, you know, just kind of, well, I'm going to theologize of being pious instead of being active. What is faith? Faith is an active application of the lessons we've learned through our journey with God through life. It's, it's applying what we've learned about God in an, in an everyday reality. It's simply taking our knowledge of who God is and what God can do and and how God loves us and engages us and applying it to our life. And we gain that knowledge through walking with Him. The Father here in this this experience, although we don't get the the full encounter of where He ends up in in this whole encounter, we see Him on kind of a, 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 a beginning journey. While the disciples are further on in their journey, the, the, the father here is, is on a journey as well. He's in what? At the beginning of this story, he's in desperation. He, he's, in, he's in the mindset, my son is hurting. My son is, is in, a, in a circumstance, in a situation I have no resource for. I have no answer to. I have no way of responding to. 
and I've gone to this person and this person and this person and this person and nobody seems to be able to help. I've heard about this, this Jesus, this one who some call the Messiah and his disciples and, and I've heard that he's in the region and so I take my son to, to him. I encounter his disciples, those who are closely connected to him. I say to them, what I've said to everybody else, they engage this situation. They can't do anything either. And so Jesus finally comes, shows up, and in verse 20, he says what? If you can help. If you can help, then do. What do his words communicate there? His words communicate the struggle, the battle that's going on within him. Because every other place he's gone, the other places he's gone where he put his confidence in him, they failed him. And so he, he's going to protect himself here. And as he engages Jesus, he's going to say, I want your help. I think you can help. I hope you can help. But I'll understand if you can. And that's not the interaction we should have with God in prayer. That's not faith. That's not a, a reaction that's born out of relationship with God. That's what? That's a reaction that's born out of relationship with everybody else. This man's understanding of what God could do, what Jesus could do, wasn't driven by his knowledge of Jesus. It was driven by his knowledge of everybody else. And God is not everybody else. God is so much more. And so... He says, if you can help, and Jesus says, all things are possible. Now, again, what is that response? His, his response is not anything you ask for, you're just going to get it. That's not what Jesus suggests. We know that because he tells us otherwise in, in many other places. But his response is what? There are no limitations on what I can do. None. I can raise the dead from the grave. I can give sight to the blind. I can heal the terminally ill patient. There are no limitations on what I'm capable of. You need to understand that as we engage with Christ in faith, as we encounter Him, as we, as we come to God in our prayers, we need to understand there are no limits. But that's hard, isn't it? That's hard. Because life tells us otherwise. And so we, like the Father, in perhaps one of the most honest exchanges between this man and Jesus, uh, between anybody and Jesus in the Gospels, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, Help my unbelief. Yes, I, I, I see and, and I understand to, to some extent. I, I know that you're the God who created these things. I, I see the universe. I see the power. I see the majesty of your works. I see all the things that you're capable of. I read these stories of healing, of resurrection, of, of life change, of transformation. I know that you've changed my life. God, I believe. And yet I don't. There's a part of me that 
still doesn't. Help that unbelief. Help me what? Help me know you more. Because remember, faith is born out of our knowledge of who God is. It's not just in terms of head knowledge, but in walking with Him, understanding Him, being with Him, fellowshipping with Him. God, help me know you more. Our question shouldn't be what the disciples ask, what am I doing wrong? Our question should be, how well do we really know the Lord? And if we're honest, every single one of us would say, I need to know more. I need to understand Him better. I need to walk with Him. I need to to fellowship with Him. Our prayer life should not be to get our prayers answered, but to know God better. And as we then know Him better, then that will direct and guide the things we do ask for. That will direct and guide our understanding regardless of what His answer is. This morning before the first service, just a, just a few minutes before the first service, I received a, a text that told me that um, Dr. Harris um, had a severe stroke this morning, and they're not expecting him to live out the week. And when I came in for the service, I really didn't have any time but between that news and engaging, and, and I was a mess. Anybody who was here would tell you I was a mess. The sermon was a mess. I was all over the place. And I spent the hour in between the services just in prayer, taking my own advice to heart. I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know where this is all going. I don't know what God's going to do in this situation. I do know He's fully able to heal and recover Dr. Harris, even at this point. But at the end of the day, it's not about what He ultimately does with Dr. Harris. It's knowing Him. It's about knowing the Father who loves me, who loves Dr. Harris, who loves LaDonna and the boys. It's about knowing a God who is more deeply concerned and invested in the situation than I would ever be. And it's about trusting that whatever happens, It'll be done for God's glory. And that I can rest in that. Because at the end of the day, that's what I want to be about, is God's glory. As we engage this world, 
as we confront people who are hurting, who are in desperation mode, like this father. We don't need to show them our capabilities. We need to show them Jesus. And we need to help them to see that at the end of the day, no matter what else happens in life, a relationship with Jesus is the heart of what makes life worth living and what makes everything ultimately make sense. Because to have Him in your life is to have every resource, every answer, every assistance that you could possibly need to experience life to the fullest and to respond even to painful moments of loss. with a joy that says, because he lives, I know I live too, and I can face tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come, Lord, we, we do lift up Dr. Harris, and we know that you are fully capable of even now healing him. We lift up LaDonna and the boys. We ask for comfort and peace for them, strength and encouragement in the midst of this trial, this struggle, this circumstance. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that as we live our lives, we would do so with a mindset, with a commitment to know you and to make you known. Lord, help us each day to grow in our understanding of you. And as we do that, Lord, we will grow in faith because there's no other outcome that's possible when we encounter someone as wonderful and powerful and loving and precious as you. Help us to see with eyes beyond our own capacities. Help us to be a church, a people that engage a lost and dying world with love and with compassion and with clarity. We thank you for your goodness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.